Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. There are several things you need to know. First of all, we did the show a while ago, but now the Eagles are coming to Hartford again. Well, we felt it was important to do our Eagles show again. Also, we recorded this show before the death of Glenn Fry, one of the important Eagles. So we should say that we mean no disrespect to the legacy of Mr. Fry in this show. But the show is about the fact that people fight about the Eagles. People argue about the Eagles. There are people who really love the Eagles and people who really hate the Eagles. And I think one of the curious things there, and maybe the reason that the friction is so much hotter and more intense, is that the people who like the Eagles and the people who hate the Eagles are, in other ways, very similar. I mean, if you looked at somebody, you wouldn't be able to know which one they were. But it's sort of a certain kind of person fits into either camp. Anyway, so much more will occur after this news. Charlie Erickson is a photographer. He works professionally as T. Charles Erickson, and he shoots mostly theater and dance and opera and concerts. And a few months ago, Charlie was at one of his favorite bars, and a song came on, a certain familiar song. Hotel California. And I leaned over to my new friend who I'd been talking to for all of 20 minutes and said, this is elevator music from hell. And he kind of laughed and said, well, at least it's not Stairway to Heaven. And I said, yeah, but that's a band I can respect. These guys are the most overrated band in rock history. Whereupon, a gentleman to the right of the guy I was talking to leaned well forward in the bar and looked at me and said, what's your problem with the Eagles? <laughs> and I said, uh, I don't believe I was talking to you. He said, why don't you keep your opinions to yourself? And at that point, I thought, this is escalating quickly. We did not discuss the finer merits of my criticism of his favorite band because by this time he had gotten up from his chair and begun to walk around towards me in a decidedly physically intimidating manner. He had that kind of aggressive body posture that one sees from time to time that says, I'm going to back this up. Leaning towards you. Leaning towards you, coming in, leaning in towards your face. And I could see, you know, just he was almost red in the face already. He was not going to let this go. And me and my friend kind of turned on our elbows and looked at him and gave him the really guy look. But it was clear that I had poked at a nerve that was not going to be soothed. The bartender, Greg, uh, Greg's a big guy, and he came over and inserted himself saying, guys, 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 let's keep it to neutral topics. Let's not be doing this. And we rolled our eyes and said, you know, this is about the Eagles. But the guy walked away in a huff, and things did not progress, I'm happy to say. But the three of us, the bartender, my new friend, and I, were, were trading very meaningful eye rolls and eyebrow conversation for a minute or so afterwards. How, how old was the other guy? The guy who leaned over, I would say, was probably about half of my age. How old are you? Which would put him, I am 61 years old. 
So this is a guy who's like 30, who feels strongly about that the Eagles aren't terrible. Uh, yes, yes. Not a guy who lived through the era himself. Not a guy who was there on the scene in, let's say, 1977, when these guys were nearing their peak. It does skew generationally, but we're not talking about war and peace here. We're talking about musical taste. I told this story to a guy once, and he said, well, what if I turned to you and I said, you know, the Beatles suck. And I, I said, well, you know, I would just look at you with some compassion, and we would move on. You, there would be no physical threatening from you at that point? <laughs> uh, I, I think not. <laughs> Are you a guy who's been in a bar fight before? I have never in my life punched anyone. I wouldn't, I, I can't imagine myself actually being in a position to do that. I would vastly prefer to run away than fight. Um, and my reaction afterwards was, as ever, relief <laughs> that I did not get involved in a physical altercation. But then this, this kind of bemused wonder that anyone could ramp themselves up so emotionally over a casual dismissal a disrespect, it's true, of a pop group, of something that really is a very ephemeral kind of entertainment. And I didn't actually know for certain that it was sort of a cottage industry to diss the Eagles, but I just find that their music was slick and soulless and had no rough edges at all. And for me... It, it just was kind of like wallpaper. And I like rough music. I like roots music. I like blues music. And that's what I like. It doesn't really matter what I like. And just as when you argue with someone about faith, it comes down to a resolved position that is inarguable at its base. I like this. I believe in this. And... So I've just found it's one more place that you have to tread kind of lightly until you really know the territory. All right. That was Charlie Erickson and Jonathan McNichol. We're going to be talking today about this phenomenon. I just thought, you know, this in fact, this story is what really catapulted me into doing this show. I heard Charlie Erickson tell it. He was doing a photo session a few weeks ago that I was sort of marginally part of. And I think he was trying to relax people. So he told this story about how he almost got into this fight about the Eagles. And I thought, you know, that's that's a story I kind of understand because although I don't really have super strong feelings about the Eagles, I, I, I understand that people do, that they excite passions. I wondered why. I wondered why that would be. So we're going to try to figure that out today. And let me tell you who we've got. We're very excited to have Robert Criscow. Robert Criscow is one of the three or four people who invented rock journalism. Uh, his newest book is called Going Into the City, Portrait of a Critic as a Young Man. He's probably also the first person ever to say in print that he hated the Eagles. Uh, Nathan Rabin is here with us. Uh, he is a writer, author, uh, national treasurer, and very other, uh, various other things as well. Uh, he has written about this phenomenon, about this phenomenon, about the divisiveness, the passions that get excited about the uh, Eagles. But we want to talk first to Eric Lichter. Eric Lichter is a musician, producer. He's the owner, op operator, founder, proprietor of the uh, Dirt Floor Studios. And he comes to us. I was getting nervous uh, watching you during that story because I know that you love 
the Eagles. But I also know from our lengthy communications about this that you've just heard it all before, right? There's nothing that anybody's going to say about the Eagles in a negative way that you just haven't heard. Well, you know, let me start off by saying I don't have an altar in my house, (laughs) you know, for the Eagles. I I do love them. You know, I was raised on them and and the California sound uh, and the other groups associated with them. Um, So, you know, and I was also around after you know, the initial peak. So, you know, it's all nostalgia for me. I just love the music. I love sweet melodies. And, and, and people get so vitriolic. You know, they throw the word hate around. And I don't... That word really is very strong when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. I get it if you're indifferent to a, a group or a type of music, like I am with Van Morrison. It's like mm-hmm. I get Van Morrison. I get why people love him. But for me, it's just... Eh, it's the same song over and over again. So it comes down to personal preference, really. The phenomenon that you're describing is a familiar one, I think, to most of us, which is that, you know, you and any person you might meet over the rest of the course of the day, it might turn out that you like a lot of the same things, you know, uh, as you sort of ticked through a whole list of musical acts. It might turn out that you and that other person were pretty simpatico, and then maybe there would be some places where you just, you know, there were forks in the road, and they really liked Van Morrison. Yeah, you not so much and everything like that. But it does seem like the Eagles are a special thing, right? You have a lot of people that you know, that you enjoy, who you share a lot of enthusiasms with, and you are just off 180 degrees in opposite directions, Yeah, it is like, you know, it's a dirty word, which is very puzzling. It's been puzzling to me. Um, As a producer, you know, when I get to uh, work on records for people, I I put these little Easter eggs in their records. They're going to kill me. I mean, they're all out there going, (laughs) what? (laughs) So I'll throw a little guitar lick in there, a little Joe Walsh thing, or uh, I worked with an artist named Carrie Powers, uh, and, and I think she's been here, and she has a great song that I know John Dankosky loves mm-hmm. called Old Shirt, and I threw in these harmonies that's, that are these ascending harmonies that are very much like Randy Meisner, Take It to the Limit. Yeah. But people are like, man, that's really, I love what you did there. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you love the Eagles then, don't you? No, but I hate the Eagles. I mean, Robert Criscow, it could be said that you saw this coming, that in 1972, you did write that they were, yeah, the tightest and most accomplished rock band to emerge since Neil Young's Crazy Horse. So um, you saluted their chemistry. Uh, You said they're an organic group, not a mixture of musicians uh, that they can execute. Uh, Not only do they all sing and compose, which is nothing new, they're good at it. Uh, And you went on to talk about other aspects of it. But then you wrote this famous line. People, It comes up, right? Right. Uh, It's it's the second most famous line I ever wrote. Another thing that interests me about the Eagles is that I hate them. Hate is the kind of uptight word that automatically excludes one from polite post-hippie circles. A good reason to use it. But it's also meant to convey an anguish that is very intense, yet difficult to pinpoint. Do I hate music that has been giving me pleasure all weekend, made by four human beings I've never met? Yeah, I think so. Listening to the Eagles has left me feeling alienated from things I used to love. As the culmination of rock's country strain, the group is also the culmination of the counterculture reaction that strain epitomizes. Well, there, we, there you have... See, my objection to the Eagles was not primarily musical. It is primarily political. Don Henley, who I think is the, the mo- single most dislikable of the, of the members of the Eagles, you know, as in many ways associated himself with liberal causes and has actually given money, I'm down with that. But Michael Bolton who I don't like either, was the single most important musical supporter of Bill Clinton in 1992, you know? Good, you know, bad artists do good things, and good artists do bad things, too. So, Nathan, this is a chasm that you tried to explore, right? That there's something about the Eagles that makes a certain contingent very, very happy, and another contingent 
happy to hate them. Oh, totally. Well, and I think one of the, my sort of fascinations as a writer and something that I've explored a lot is things that are despised, things that are reviled. Uh, my last book, uh, You Don't Know Me But You Don't Like Me, was about fish and insane clown posse, um, both of whom I came to love deeply, deeply, deeply and unironically and unambiguously. And while I was writing this article about the eagles, again, I think it was uh, from the standpoint of defending them, finding something valid, something of uh, substance. And I think there definitely is a lot there. I mean, they're undeniably impressive from a musicianship standpoint, from, from a polished standpoint, from a craftsmanship standpoint. But there is something fundamentally soulless, enervating and aggravating about it. And I think a lot of it comes down to politics, but also to personalities. Uh, I don't need to know Don Henley to despise him. And actually, the more you know about the Eagles, the easier it becomes to hate them. Uh, and I didn't realize that this was research at the time, but I watched the three-hour-long a documentary about the Eagles, and the whole purpose of that is to build their brand, to establish them as these incredibly important cultural figures, and it was very authorized, very polished, and it's almost impossible to come away from that movie and not despise Don Henley and Glenn Fry on a personal level, even as their music is almost aggressively, offensively inoffensive. Eric, as I say, nothing's going to come up here that Eric hasn't already heard. And so this is one of the arguments. We might as well get into it right now. I was going to save this for later. But one of the arguments is, well, they're just not nice people. Yeah, I have heard it. And, you know, it's hard to be the guy that, you know, I feel like I'm sort of the one that's against the ropes. I have to defend this band that doesn't really need defending. But we're talking about them as human beings, right? I don't know all there is to know. But I know as a human being, I'd, I never judge someone unless I'm, unless I've spent time with them on a personal level. I haven't spent time with these guys. I can't say, you know, for certain that this guy's a jerk or that guy's a jerk. Do I agree with everything they do? No. But again, I just listen to their music and I know that it makes me feel good to get in my car and throw on, you know, the Desperado record. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also part of the problem is uh, the constant replaying of the same songs over and over again. But as people, I don't know them. I can't make that call. One reason that I admire, uh, Eric, and what you're doing today is that I think, you know, for a certain kind of person who fancies himself as hip in a certain way, this has become – hating the Eagles has become kind of a thing, right? It's a thing. It's kind of a hip thing. We know from the world of movies one of the things that made it a hip thing – in fact, Chuck Klosterman in his essay about this says this is the thing that catapulted him temporarily into the world of hating the Eagles is just watching this particular movie and this particular clip. Jesus, man, could you change the channel? You man, if you don't like my music, get your own cat. I had a really rough. I'll pull up to the side and kick out. Man, come on, I had a rough night and I hate the eagles, man. So there you have the, the precursor to the fist fight that Charlie Erickson almost had. And you've got both sides, too, right? You've got the, the dude, he hates the Eagles. And you've got the cab driver who is apparently passionate enough about the Eagles to throw somebody out, throw a <laughs> presumably paying customer out of his cab. But Nathan, you know, in, in a certain way, 
that moment, and, and boy, once we announced that we were doing this show, about 85 people sent us this clip like we wouldn't have known about it. It kind of made it easy. You know, your, your book about insane uh, clown posse and fish, to do that, to hate them, you first of all have to explain to other people who they are and stuff like that. Whereas it got kind of easy to hate the Eagles, right? It, got, it was a very dry, cool, I reject corporate rock position that you really didn't ha- even have to work very hard at, right? Oh, totally. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, your average American uh, doesn't really know who Fish or the Indian Club Hussey is, uh, whereas everybody knows the Eagles. They're incredibly, incredibly popular. And that makes them a much, much bigger target for hate. I think there's also the sense that they are the establishment. Uh, you know, they're I think Hotel California was in the top 50 of like Rolling Stones, greatest albums of all time. And they're kind of, you know, exactly the kind of uh, band that Rolling Stone likes that John Wenner uh, would his support behind and um, yeah I think a lot of the hostility towards them is because they kind of took something that was uh, very soulful very uh, non-commercial a very kind of uh, organic which was sort of this country rock thing that you know sort of Graham Parsons was kind of uh, creating and made it uh, kind of corporate and soulless and cynical and incredibly incredibly commercial it's like they brought something to incredible popularity and destroyed it at the same time Robert Criscow I'm also wondering you told me via email that you're going to be listening to some Eagles to kind of get ready for this conversation. So how do the Eagles sound to you in 2015? They don't sound unlistenable. One thing, I mean, I've always loved Old 55, but Mm. the fact of the matter is the reason I love Old 55 is, A, it's a great song. They didn't write it. And I prefer Tom Waits' version to their version. And I was thinking, you know, at at the same time I'm enjoying Old 55, I do think it's a wonderful song. Peaceful, easy, easy feeling. That that song that uh, the Big Lebowski uh, mm. was pawning on. That's mm. an okay song, as far as I'm concerned. The songs about male independence are very passionate. The songs about female females tend to be put downs. But they th- are sexist in a typical rock way. I was going to say you could say that about so much yeah. of rock culture, yes, right? Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. But just because they're so skillful, they make it a more culturally acceptable position. And right at the center of it is is that. Country rock, right. Graham Parsons is great. But I prefer the Eagles to Poco <laughs> by a lot. Uh, <laughs> really. And I don't prefer him to, to Graham Parsons. Graham Parsons was a genius and, uh, and an extraordinary musician, and I don't think that's true of anybody in, in the Eagles. But, I mean, I, I do believe that the very pervasiveness of uh, their greatest hits album, which is one of the best-selling albums of all time, or, of, I mean, does Jan Winter love Hotel California? I don't even know. Is he? Fr- I mean, he's friends with lots of people. Is he friends with Henley? Might be. I don't know the facts of that. But definitely makes them easier to hate simply because they're so popular. I have no use for that. I love Michael Jackson's Thriller, which is even more popular. The fact that they're popular is no excuse uh, for hating them. All right, let me grab a, a call from Bob. We're going to be taking a break here pretty soon. Hi, Bob from Stanford. You're on the air. I go way back with the Eagles. I saw them perform in Dillon Stadium up in Hartford in September of 1972 when they were promoting Take It Easy. But the interesting thing is I enjoyed listening to them that day. It was a nice sunny day, and, and you know that country rock sound all was very nice, and it was unexpected. They weren't on the bill when I bought the tickets. And the first album I listened to for quite a lot, um, I was in college at the time, so it was, you know you find it all around campus, you get on the radio. Each subsequent album, each year, I just found them more and more annoying. And part of it, I think, was the fandom. Part of it was the ubiquitous of it. 
But ultimately, it came down to just like was it Charlie Hendrickson was speaking initially. Charlie, yeah, there, there, yeah. There's no edges to them. It's like okay, you're good in the studio. You have some taste in covering songs because, like Mr. Chris Gow, uh, I I do like all 55. But again, it's the Tom Waits uh, connection that really makes me want to listen to it because every time I hear it, it's good. Tom gets a little bit of publicity, even if most people don't know he wrote it. Actually, I'm alarmed that Tom Waits rhymed. Uh Quickly and lickety splitly, uh, but um, <laughs> but that's just me. We're going to grab a quick break here. I want to hear some of what I mean. And, and what we want to do, kind of in this second segment too, is really talk about sort of okay. I mean, always no, you sort of hear the positions being kind of staked out a little bit. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about so you know why people get so excited about this. I do want to say just apropos of Bob's call that uh, the Eagles get blamed for everything. Chris Squire from that tr- tr- the same tour, the basis for yes. Claims that they're the Eagles. It's the Eagles' fault that the, that yes, all got addicted to cocaine. That uh, the Eagles showed them cocaine and how great it was. He says, if you want to know why we all wound up hooked on cocaine, blame the Eagles. See, they blame for everything. All right, we're back. We're talking about why the Eagles divide people and raise their passions so much. Eric Lichter is here in studio with me. Uh, he is the uh, founder, proprietor, and producer uh, at the Dirt Floor Studios. Uh, Robert Criscow, legendary rock critic, is joining us from his apartment in New York. Nathan Rabins from the studios of WBEZ in Chicago. He's a writer, author, national treasure. And we sent uh, Josh Nalea out into the streets of New Haven uh, to ask people questions about the Eagles. And, well, here's what happened. Do you have any strong feelings about the band, the Eagles? Oh, yeah. I like the Eagles. I don't think you should ban the Eagles. Well, I mean, where, where are they banning them from? I mean, just get rid of them? No, no. I mean, they've been here since the Earth was created. You know, my grandsons and their children got to you know, know about the Eagles or, you know, see a live eagle, not in the museum stuff. Are we talking about the bald eagles? Or the band, the, the Eagles. Band. Hotel California? Yeah. Yeah. But they've been banned? No, no. The, the, like the rock band, the Eagles. Oh, oh. <laughs> so that didn't go that well. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Eric, uh, I'm going to come back to you for a second and, and talk about some of the things that have been said so far. Yeah. So one of the reasons that we have this chasm is that everything that is an Eagle's weakness is an Eagle's strength. One thing that just came up is, okay, so they appropriated country, a country sound, without necessarily buying in the way that maybe people want well, them to. So they're not Graham Parsons, they're not John Prine, they're not Johnny Cash, they're not George Jones. On the other hand, Bonnie Raitt went to Radcliffe, and then she recorded a lot exactly. of country music, and she didn't take the same kind of heat. So um, I've been biting my tongue for the last 10 <laughs> minutes. You could see that. Um, you know, in the end, I know this is all ridiculous. It just yeah. makes for great, for great radio. You know, what we have to do is, and what I do... I don't try to win people over. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, if you don't like something, you're never gonna. Mm-hmm. Although I, I came around to Warren Zevon about a dozen years ago, and I'm, I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but you take the, these individuals before their first record came out, and I think the first record and Desperado as a concept album mm-hmm. has a ton of soul. So mm-hmm. people th- were throwing around this lack of soul thing, mm-hmm. and that's ridiculous to me. I mean, those records are full of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gradually they got a little more polished as time went on. You have Randy Meisner, who, yes, was in Poco, an inferior band, although they, I think they had some good cuts in there, and Richie Fure, who was in the Buffalo Springfield 
was in that group. And, and Jim, his, Jim Messina was in it, And too. Jim was in that group as well. But, uh, you know, they had their moments. Timothy B. Schmidt, who I'm not a fan of, so mm-hmm. I'm going to go on record. I, I don't think he was right for the Eagles. I liked it better when Randy was in that band. He made out, because he's still in the band, so right. he's making tons of money, and where's Randy? But you had Randy, who was in Rick Nelson's Stone Canyon band. Now, he was incredible. Mm-hmm. He made some great stuff, and, you know, he played with James Taylor, uh, you know, Sweet Baby James. And I know Henley and Fry uh, were working with Linda Ronstadt. And they had a mm-hmm. couple other things before that. So they, you know, they all paid their dues. And they were, and Bernie Leadon uh, was in the Burrito Brothers. You know, he's a flying Burrito Brother. So these guys definitely earned. They had some authentic country jobs. Yeah, they paid their dues, jobs. man. They definitely did. And, and and nobody ever complained about them when they were in their previous, you know, <laughs> in their band. So, you know, I think it was, uh, and I did see the history of the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And the first half was much more interesting than the second half. I'm going to bring up another uh, theory here, all right? And I'm going to ask Nathan about it. But I'm going to um, I'm going to let somebody else set it up for me. I'm going to let Mojo Nixon set me up, set it up for me. This is the sound of my brain. <laughs> Then I said, this is the sound of my brain on Don Henley. Then I said, one, two, three, four. All right, that's Don Henley Must Die uh, by Mojo Nixon. So, um, Nathan, um, Rabin, one thing that you, once again, their strengths are their weaknesses. So one of their strengths is they, they endure, right? This is now a 40-plus-year-old band. I mean, they've been around that long. One of the things that their fans love about them, the people who love the Eagles, they love the fact that the sound that started in 1972, although it's mutated and changed, the lineups changed and stuff like that, they think it's still sort of access things that were, you know, if they are of an appropriate age, if, if they're not 30, that, you know, there's just this tremendous continuity. One of the things that people hate about about them, I assume, is that they won't die. They won't die. They won't go away. That they are as ubiquitous in 2015 as they were in 1977 or whatever their peak or their theoretical peak was. The, the, the fact is their, their theoretical peak turns out to be right this mesa that we're just living on for the rest of the history of pop culture. I mean, do you think people hold their longevity against them? Yeah, I think so. Part of the hostility uh, towards the Eagles is just that they're so ubiquitous and they never go away. And even when they were broken up, their music was just everywhere. It was part of the fabric of American culture. And I think they occupy this place by virtue of their incredible popularity, by virtue of, you know, the ubiquity of their songs, by virtue of their longevity that, you know, other albums like, you know, to cite... You know, from the top 10, you know, the uh, Thriller, which I agree is, is an amazing album. And there's nothing wrong uh, with being commercial, um, you know, but there's a giant difference from an album like uh, the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band uh, that endures because it's great and will never go away because the world needs it. And the Eagles' Greatest Hits, which endures because it is 
you know, nobody could object to it. And it can play in a Starbucks anywhere in the world uh, and seem perfectly at home and nobody would be too uh, upset by it. You know, their music is uh, very, very pleasant. But for that level of popularity, that level of uh, esteem, it should be a whole lot more than just agreeable. Robert Crisco, another theory I have, okay, is that this music is very seductive. It sounds very, very, it sounds nice and, and it sounds great in all the ways that you in 1972 were describing how good it really sounded. And there is in the review that you wrote a little bit of a sense of Jesus being taken out into the wilderness and tempted by Satan, that you hear this music and it, it re, you really like it a lot. It's made you happy for a whole weekend of listening to it. But then you decide to reject it. And I'm wondering if no, that's... I didn't decide to reject it. Okay, go ahead. If you don't criticize from your gut, then you're not good at your job. Mm. I criticize from my gut. There was no decision involved. You have to be in touch with your pleasure centers, see what actually gives you pleasure and what doesn't, how it works. In this case, it was a, it was a complex experience that I try to describe. And then gradually over the years, their self-importance, which is different than their success. Mm -hmm. I mean, once again, I think uh, some girls which came out in 1978 by a much bigger band than the Eagles at that time, the Rolling Stones, I think that's a fine record. It's not about the success. It's about the self-importance, the pomposity. That's what Mojo Nixon is getting out of that song. I mean, I, I think that record, I, my, my review of that, The End of Innocence, it begins, bitch, 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 bloat, bloat, bloat. Six of ten tracks run over five minutes. That's just self-importance. I hope before we go, we can discuss the question of Frank Ocean's American Wedding. Do you know anything about that? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, actually, Eric, maybe, maybe you even want to talk about that right now, Eric. Go ahead. I'm going to get in trouble here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I agree with Robert about uh, criticizing from your gut, I believe. You know, I, that's how I do it. And, uh, but, uh, I, you know, I bring up the Frank Ocean thing uh, to a lot of folks. And, Robert, get, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, I know that he basically took the entire backing track. Mm -hmm. He oh. actually messed with it a little bit, which I'm sure made Henley even madder. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were a few... really interesting ways. He thinned down the guitar at the beginning. He put different percussion in there. It's not the backing track, but he does use the Joe Walsh solo. I, I haven't actually A-beat it, so I'm yeah. not sure that the sound is exactly the same. I, I listened to it this Ocean morning. And Ocean is smart about this stuff, so I wouldn't be surprised if he did mess with it a little bit. But it's subtle. So we, we should, for people who are completely lost right now, so Frank Ocean, who's a kind of a, a, artist almost an R&B artist comes out of the hip-hop tradition though and he's actually really wonderful I really enjoy him a lot so this is a song where he he more Eric he more than sampled Hotel California oh, right it's, uh, I listened to it this morning uh, it's just unmistakable I don't think he's trying to hide it he also didn't make any money on that there was no money to be made which mm -hmm. you know I know that that was people's argument well you know he wasn't making money mm -hmm. and then Henley went after him and I write songs I'm on the other end of the financial spectrum from Don Henley but he's an artist and you know if he wants to protect his, you know, what we're going to call intellectual property, then good for him. To that point, too, um, Nathan, we have to go to a break here pretty soon, but I think one thing that maybe fuels a little bit of what we're talking about, this sort of, the, the way that people say that they hate the Eagles, and they use that word hate, um, is that the Eagles hate the Eagles, right? I mean, this is an unusually divisive group of people. We have famously the 1980 concert where, uh, where Glenn Fry was counting down the songs to the end, 
on stage, audibly to the audience, f- to win the concert win it, and so that he could beat up Don Felder. And he'd, I think, broken a bottle and waved at it at him before they went out on stage. That And that, you know, that Bernie Leadon and Randy Meisner left the band with various levels of either hurt feelings or revulsion. That there's a sense uh, that uh, seems even to emerge in the documentary that there's tension between the two guys who really are supposed to be the Butch Cassidy and Sundance kin of this band, uh, Henley and Fry. That one of the things that may fuel some of this feeling about the Eagles is that, you know, the Beatles on their worst day, I don't think, had this kind of friction. I, I don't know. Am I wrong about that? No, I think you're entirely right. And I think people are understandably skeptical of bands where there are two people who are in charge. Uh, and then there are people who are employees who can be uh, fired in any moment. I feel like uh, Kiss was kind of that way. Although Steel, um, Steely, Dan, pe- Steely Dan doesn't take a lot of heat for that. And it couldn't be more two people, right? Oh, totally. But again, I think it's just (laughs) I love Steely Dan. I don't know anybody other than the two people. Uh, Whereas with the Eagles, it was definitely a matter of there were these guys who were an important part of kind of building that sound who were just kind of dismissed. We're going to take a break. So we'll have time for the end. Uh, We're going to continue to explore this chasm, this fissure in the American soul. If you don't like the Eagles, you gotta admit that Jet Airliner and Keep On Loving You are great songs. What's that? Those are by the Steve Miller Band and Ario Speedwagon? Yeah, but they're still really intense songs. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me with help from Jonathan McNichol and Josh Nalea. Our interns are Deborah Timms, Katie McAuliffe, and Jules Lefebvre. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin, and the part of Bill Curry was played by Jackson Brown. For show pages, news, and security cam footage of the Faith Middleton Show staff trashing a hotel room with Joe Walsh, go to our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. And now, back to Colin. I do want to sort of thank, I want to thank everybody who was just named here. This is sort of one of my crazy ideas that everybody put up with. <laughs> And, and we have to also especially thank uh, Betsy Kaplan. She's the commissioner of Eagles music on the show. All the Eagles songs that are chosen are chosen by Betsy because we find out that she owned a greatest hits album and we made fun of her for three days. Anyway, but I like the Eagles. I actually don't dislike the Eagles. So I have this theory that I'm going to bring up with all three of you. I'm going to start with you, Eric. And I think now that I've met you a little bit, my theory makes even more sense because you seem to be a relatively happy, well-adjusted person. You know, you seem to be very comfortable with yourself and comfortable in your own skin. And I have this theory that hating the Eagles has something to do with the listener's mix of self-loathing and resentment of sort of mass culture happiness around him. You know, that there's a kind of person, and I'm a little bit that kind of person, who enjoys finding the worm in the apple more than he enjoys eating the apple. And the bigger and brighter and shinier the apple is, the more fun it is to find the worm in it. You know, why can't I be happy joining the throngs at the Coliseum, hoisting my brewski in the air and singing heartache tonight along with everybody else? Because I'm deep and I'm moody and I'm complicated and I'm not made happy by the things that make other people happy. I think I just did describe myself. And I know I described Jonathan McNichol. Per- I mean, in fact, Jonathan McNichol doesn't like the Eagles, except he found out when we were doing the show that a lot of people don't like the uh, Eagles. And that made him hate himself for not liking the Eagles. He's probably ready to read Nathan's book and learn to like Insane Clown Posse, too. But I mean, Eric, you do seem like you're a happy person and that maybe some of the people who really get off on hating the Eagles <laughs> are people like me and Jonathan who are full of self-love. Well, you know, it's funny. I, you, know, I, I, you know an awful lot about them. 
you know, and I'm not going to be going to see them. You know, I have no interest in seeing the Eagles whatsoever. So it's a very strange mix yeah. of fandom you're dealing with. Uh, but, um, yeah, I found that to be the case a lot. But for me, it's really just about the music. You know, music to me is therapy. It's, it, there's no greater thing that puts us in a time. It brings us back to a special time, mm-hmm. whether that's listening to Insane Clown Posse, Drinking Fago, you know what I mean? Um, I know who those guys are. Those, I reserve my hate for that band right there. But, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a personal thing at the end of the day. I don't care if Don Henley's a jackass. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, it makes me feel good, and, and I don't know if I'm answering this question. No, you, you are answering the question. <laughs> and so all. I'm going to go to Nathan for a second, too. I mean, I think you know what I'm talking about, too. It's really, If you want to identify, self-identify as a person who's just gone off the reservation of American mass culture and commercialism, I mean, first of all, you're going to identify with the dude. I mean, how, what better person for you to identify? I'm the dude. I'm off the reservation. I'm not participating anymore. And, and a really easy signifier for that is to say, I hate the Eagles. Totally. Uh, but I also feel like they are a lot more hateable than a lot of things that are incredibly <laughs> popular uh, in our society. And I love uh, I love loving things. I hate hating things. I've kind of uh, sought out things that people revile and try and find things that are good. But I feel like the Eagles have kind of defeated me uh, in that respect. And I, you know, I wrote this article in which I sort of semi kind of defended them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was thinking. Today I was heading over to the studio like I should bone up on the Eagles and listen to them and their music. And then I realized that I didn't keep any of their music. I deleted all of it from my iTunes, which I think was kind of my brain saying, you know, there are wonderful things you took with you from, you know, this country series that did a few years back. Uh, the Eagles is not one of them. You do not need them in your life anymore. And I actually find myself uh, reading books about them and watching documentaries about them because I'm fascinated by them mm. in ways that don't have anything to do with their music, uh, interestingly or uninterestingly enough. Um, you know, before we run out of time, uh, we did find somebody who had an absolutely, for my money anyway, unique experience with the Eagles. Uh, her name is Carolyn Reeves. We er- interviewed her earlier this week or last week or I don't know, I've lost track of time. Uh, but this is what it's like to experience Eagles fans in another environment. As we began to investigate the Eagles and, and plumb deeply into their appeal, we encountered some interesting stories. And one of them comes from Carolyn Reeves. Uh, Carolyn spoke to us last week in New Orleans. Carolyn, this story begins in India, but maybe begin by telling us how you happen to be singing in India. I was doing some post-college traveling, and I had set up camp in a beach community called Goa. I was singing a lot, and I was approached by a scout who asked me if I wanted a job singing at different Taj Mahal hotels throughout India. And I thought, well, that sounds like an adventure, so I went for it. The main gig I did for the longest period of time was they had kind of like an Italian-themed going on at the hotel, and I was supposed to be a serenader. And um, the manager had helped me come together with a list of popular English songs in India. And I bet you know what's coming next. There was a number one requested song there. And it was Hotel California? It was Hotel California a lot, a like, lot of the time. Like how much is a lot? How, how much would you have to sing this song? Sometimes five times a night. <laughs> it, it happened at least once every night. I would say Hotel California was rivaled only by Celine Dion's The Heart Will Go On, the Titanic song. If you were to describe the overall lasting effect of having to sing Hotel California, 
as many as five times a night. What, what did that do to you as a person? It made me really not be able to tolerate the song anymore. And it's a great song, but I just can't hear it. When it comes on the radio, I roll my eyes and groan and try to get myself out of earshot. So you didn't start out uh, hating the Eagles. You started out liking the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan of uh, music from the Eagles era and certainly rock. And to this day, I have nothing against the Eagles or really against any of their other songs. But um, Hotel California really just makes my hair stand up on end. Well, Carolyn Reeves, it sounds like you're all better now that you didn't suffer permanent damage from. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm okay. I mean, the Celine Dion song is another story that was <laughs> that was even more traumatic and even more traumatic for my vocal cords too. But yeah, I'm doing just fine. Thanks. All right, we'll, we'll do the Celine Dion show in 2017. We'll be getting back in touch with you then. <laughs> all right, thanks for calling. Thank you. Welcome to the hotel. All right, so um, we just had to get that story in. So we're running out of time, and Eric Lichter, since you've uh, had to do the hardest job, I think you've had to roll the bigger rock up the hill here. Uh, I'm going to let you um, have perhaps the last word. You know, one of the things that keeps coming up, obviously, is commercial success and money, you know, this notion that they're in it for the money. But isn't it, I mean, is that really such a bad thing? I mean, uh, isn't everybody in it for the money? I mean, maybe, you said you're on the opposite end of the spectrum from Don Henley, but not by necessarily because you don't want to make any money. Well, I don't think any of us gets into it because we want to just get by, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think the guys, uh, the four original Eagles knew, you know, hey, man, we're going to be the biggest thing in the world. You know what I mean? I think they, their hearts were in the right place. They wanted to make music. I think along the way they take on, you know, first off, we already know the kind of guy Don Henley is, mm-hmm. whatever, for better or worse. He's probably, I don't know. I have a friend who nannied for Glenn, and she said he was incredible, by the way. Um, but, you know, they had Irving Azoff for a manager. They called him the Poison Dwarf. That was like his nickname. You know, I mean, there's all these influences. And, of course, success changes a person. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, just listen to the music. If you like it, great. If you don't, change the channel. Perfect place to end. Thanks to Nathan Rabin, uh, national treasurer and writer. Robert Criscow, his new book is Going Into the City, Portrait of a Critic as a Young Man. And especially to Eric Lichter from the Dirt Floor Studios. Excuse me, somebody, does anybody know why the song keeps repeating its chorus? Oh, you're in hell. You can check out anytime. Thanks, you're... I got it. Welcome to the hotel, California.